Bryony from Future of Tech, Future of Sex. You didn't want to say it, but you did. Yeah, I know. That's, I'm trying to avoid it because it's Future of Sex technology though, right? Future of Sex. But it's about technology. Yeah, sex tech. Yeah, yeah, sex tech. Yeah. Why on earth do you love that so much? And obviously... <laughs> Two topics I love talking about. <laughs> sex and technology. Sure. And we, let's go like real straight to the future. Where's it going and why is it going there? Just asking all the hard questions straight away. So I think sex and technology have always sort of been intertwined. If we think about technology in terms of um, live streaming and online payment systems, a lot of innovation in technology has come through sex, those two through pornography. Mm. Where's it going in the future? So we're we're still innovating around adult entertainment. You can see we've got robots, we've got VR porn, but we also have a range of other things. Teledildonics, really fun word to say. Teledildonics. Teledildonics. It's my American what is accent. It? What does it mean? It is um, remote controlled or long distance connected sex toys. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's over usually like a Bluetooth connection or a Wi-Fi. Um, then we have all sorts of interesting applications beyond the physical act of having sex. So if we think about sex and sexuality under that umbrella, we have sex education, sexual health, crime and violence reporting, human trafficking, gender identity, and a whole suite of technology that could potentially be used to help this. So instead of VR porn, let's think about VR sex education. How cool would it be to sit down with someone when you're in school and put on a VR headset and listen to someone talk about, hey, I had these STIs or this is what you should and shouldn't do or run you through a virtual scene. Mm. So it's all going that way. And and you're saying it's also helping people that the the quiet ones that don't have a lot of sex potentially yeah. i mean it's helping people have sex with virtual avatars as well this has been around for a while right if we think about second life and the advent of the internet and exploring cyber sex um this is just an extension of that and yeah people can have sex with the person that uh, made them coffee in the morning if they can look up their name and find them um they can put that face on an avatar using Facebook this is recognition. Weird. See, this is where it gets strange because that person unknowingly has their some level of what they are being engaged with in a way that they're not aware of. Sure. I'm just trying to put that into a sentence. What, what the hell is going on there? But that's where it starts getting curious, yeah. right? What's, well, what, what's ethics, your feeling on that? Ethics. Uh, it's the Wild West at the moment, <laughs> you know? And so we have... Um, you know, sex dolls are now becoming sex robots with programmable personality types and they can look like certain people. So what's the ethics behind requesting a sex robot be made in the likeness of your ex-girlfriend? Or we see in Japan, uh, there's already been a sex doll made that looks exactly like Scarlett Johansson. And there's all the, you know, it's sort of opens a can of worms here because no one's regulating this industry right now. And there's all sorts of ramifications, both positive and, you know, we've gone straight to the dark side, which I think is <laughs> where most people want to go, right? Because yeah. we're, so, we're so afraid of this technology and what it can do. And so we... So the, the positives of, of it are? 
So if we think about the potential for improving access to sexual expression in terms of sexual health, people Mm. with um, disabilities, people that are in remote and rural areas that might not have access to um, (laughs) sexual health services or humans or partners, yeah. Um, The ageing population, helping um, in terms of medicine and helping with libido and access to that. So there's a whole heap of potential there. I think the biggest one for me when I think about this is sex education because globally this is a big problem. Um, No one has come up to me when Mm. in any interview I've done and gone, you know what, I had the best sex education growing up. (laughs) Yeah, true. Everyone's had the worst. No matter where you go in the world, everyone's had the worst education and that flow-on effect from that is pretty dire in the way people feel about themselves, how they manage themselves, how they have sex. And so uh, I think if we tackled that one first, I think we'd all be in a lot better place around our bodies, around having sex and just like expressing ourselves in the world. What would you say is, I mean, it's hard to sum up in a short period of time, but what is a healthy sex education growing up? In terms of educating someone on how to explore their sexuality in a healthy way, what is that? What's that look like? Yeah, well, I think there's a range of things beyond just the physical act of having sex when we talk about sex that we should be talking about at a young age, like consent, like empathy, communication, um, listening, sort of the real shit. Can I swear on this show? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Fucking go for it. (laughs) But this is like the real shit. When we're talking about good sex and like healthy sex, What's everything that makes sex great? It's Mm. communication, understanding wants and desires, how to communicate fantasies, Mm. how to just feel good in your body, how to get Mm. rid of the shame and the um, guilt that may have been lumped onto you through your childhood, either Mm. through family situations, cultural, social situations. So that was a really long and rambly answer to say, like, the beginning start with consent and Mm. communication Mm. and, like, let's try it four years old, you Mm. know. Let's talk about chemistry, like the, oh. the chemistry within sex, like because that, that to me is, is is a super important thing, and it, I don't know with porn and what that feeds in people's minds if it exasperates the best part of what they are in terms of a healthy relationship with a woman, and and it, it almost makes them into somewhat of a possession or objectification of them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really great point. I think sex is becoming more and more the act and separated from things like the chemistry or the energy or the intimacy. So there's this real difference between intimacy, which is almost like what you're talking about when we Mm. think about all the good stuff around sex is intimacy, Mm. whereas sex is just the act. And when we see this one-dimensional, two-dimensional on-screen type stuff and we're educated from, you know, the average age that a child is exposed to pornography at the moment is six years old. So if that's our education... Six? In the West. That's... Mind blowing. So if that's that's what we're seeing first and relating to sex, that's what we're going to think sex is. We have no clue about um, you know how to communicate something that we want, or maybe listen to what someone else wants, or or just not even through words, right? The subtleties with our bodies, and mm. to your point about energy and using that. I mean, that's like advanced level stuff. Mm. But if we can't be Um, understanding what sex is at that young age and we just get exposed to pornography, of course, we're going to think that's what sex is. Mm. So I think 
to just riff a bit on the the state of porn today and where we're at, I think that um, what's that? It's a computer. It's an buzzing. alien. Yeah, maybe maybe one's landed. <laughs> it's the porn alien. Sex with aliens. We'll go there. Yeah, that would be interesting. In the next chapter, man, they would be oh my great God. in bed. There's another one. <laughs> when you're ready, we're here. Um, but porn is, um, I think, so long as we think about it, this is not what real world sex is. And porn's great. Like it can be additive to some people's lives. It can certainly be detrimental, and some people call it addictive. But porn is not sex, just like the movies is not real life. Mm. And so that's, I think, sort of the missing key because there's lots of other great porn out there that's ethical or feminist mm. porn. There's great examples of that for turning you on or turning you on in a couple. But mm. um, Yeah, I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's just in my experience, it hasn't worked for me. I've had an aversion to it. I tried a couple of times when I was a teenager, then I was like, I'm not really into this. And I never really look back. But I don't know, oh. it just doesn't charm me, but I can understand how it does charm some people. Yeah. For good reasons. And there may be a whole other backstory for why it charms other people and not yourself or maybe you're not so visually driven or maybe there's shame and guilt around watching porn yeah, there's maybe. whole whole stories that people have that are attached to pornography today mm. um but i certainly learned a lot in working with a company that were it wasn't porn but it was real world people having sex and, and yeah, looking at those that. videos and um you know people would use this as a replacement for pornography so in some ways it was. But so what was the, what was the agenda with the project? So it's called Make Love Not Porn. Yeah. Um, Cindy Gallett launched it 10 years ago in response to She Sleeps With Older Men and um, – uh, sorry, she's, she's older and she sleeps with younger men and she's sort of seen the, the flow of like internet porn and the effects it has had in the real world bedroom because all these guys were like, oh, can I come on your face? And she's like, what is this come on your face thing that everyone's now talking about? Mm. And she's like, wow, it's, it's to do with porn and um, how, ma- how many young kids are watching it today. So she said, I'm going to launch this site, Make Love Not Porn, and it's going to be real world bodies, real people having sex and um, just show what it really looks like to have sex. Mm. So it's been around for a while since it was launched and um, it has a pretty loyal following of people who sign up and and a pretty loyal community of creators that create the videos and submit them as a counterpoint to porn. So I was there for three months last year, at the end of last year, as a curator. So looking at the videos that were coming in and making sure they were consensual, making sure they were contextual, so kind of like a YouTube creator community, there was that intro video that they would have to shoot before you would see their video of them having sex. Mm. And it was really interesting because it was real people. Some of them were porn stars that were sharing the sex that they had when they were offset with their lovers. And some were just people from all over the world, from South Africa, from Hungary, Mm. of all different ages, of all different relationship statuses. Most of them were either in their 20s or they were late 50s after marriage. And um, it was a fascinating window into what sex really looks like for hundreds of other people. Whoa. And to sit through those videos and what version of sex is for them, you know. And what did you learn? 
what I learned is these people are really having fun. No one's like swinging off chandeliers. So I felt a whole lot better about the sex I was having. Mm. And um, real tits and real bums and real bodies of all shapes mm. and sizes definitely makes you feel better about your own body. And that they were so into it, mm. you know, when, when people are really proud and into it they're, and they're filming it, um, it just it kind of became um, weirdly the new normal for mm. me in a way to watch that many people have sex every day was kind of like the most bizarre job in the world. But I felt like it was a really good way for me to see, which I think actually a lot of people should see, what does it really look like for real bodies? And what does it really look like for real orgasms as well? Like how many of those people could genuinely feel pleasure, like particularly the women because it's... it's yeah, and, the, and, and what does it take too? You know, some of the videos were like over an hour um, and some were five minutes and there was all this sort of diversity. But like what does it take for a woman to orgasm? And it's completely different for it? every... It's not just thing. letting go because I, th- I thought the majority is just a woman can come a lot quicker if they just surrender or let go and feel comfortable, obviously, and all that stuff, which yeah. is, but it's, but that's the main thing holding them back, isn't it? Or no, what are the main I things? I don't know. I think, um, well, yeah. I, what's the crazy stat? It's like 56% of women don't orgasm through, um, sex and like, especially through penetrative sex. So I think it's, is, is that lack of men's understanding or knowing how potentially to because when they look at, um, same sex couples, the number goes up for, you know, women having an orgasm in sex with another woman. Right. So it must be then. Dudes are just not, not getting into, really genuinely into wanting to pleasure someone. Maybe they just wanting to pleasure themselves. Maybe, or maybe they don't know what to do. Like maybe they don't know what the clitoris is, which right. for the majority of women is how they orgasm. 86% of women orgasm through clitoral stimulation right. and not penetrative sex. And so sometimes if that's left out of the program, then you're probably not going to have an orgasm. Mm. But letting go is a good one too. Yeah, letting go, yeah. Yeah. But that requires being absolutely comfortable, trusting and knowing your partner so well that you completely can let go i guess yeah maybe because yeah. that's the emotional game because i'm very emotional with sex <laughs> like i find i find it like i i can't really engage in it unless i'm totally emotionally there and and i'm also it requires that level of intimacy to for it to actually be outstanding you know mm-hmm. you know that's that's when it's magical is when it's on these deeper more subtler realms and you're so connected to the other person that it's it's almost like you become this new organism and and when when you can do that that's when it's like this amazing kind of infinity loop between the two of you and it becomes it comes on a almost a thing of its own but that is something that's magical and chemi- chemical and it's not something you can just go up to someone on the street and go let's do that i, I don't think anyway at least i haven't been able to do that yes I think one of the the most important things before you get to know someone else's body is to know your own body yeah, too. Yeah. Like, do you know what turns you on? Mm. Do you know how to give yourself an orgasm? You mm. know, give yourself an amazing orgasm, mm. you know, and that's really key. 
Isn't and I it? think so many people are out of touch with their bodies and what sex with themselves actually is mm. that to be able to truly be in it with someone else and help that other person understand your mm. body and mm. listen to their body, you kind of have to know what's going on with yourself. It's fascinating because for dudes, it's like pretty much they got the monkey mentality of just like coming as quickly as possible, wanking really hard and fast. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's, and it's not really, it's, it's primitive in the sense that it's not really understanding the deeper subtler longer more like powerful realms of what you're capable of in that process Mm -hmm. and so if you don't really and i think that is probably due to quick gratification and porn and and kind of just wanting to feel good quickly and it's not it's i mean and you could call it tantric stuff this other stuff but it's 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 really just good sex and good orgasm you know right yeah but they call it tantric because it's yeah, well, I think I think you hit on a really great point in that a lot of the sex tech that's designed for men is around having more efficient orgasms. Efficient. Like it's around having more. Like if you think about the fleshlight, which is the male masturbator, that right. you know it looks like a big torch and goes on, and now you have like a VR sync. Why and it just moves up and down inside? It's hands free, right? So Whoa. usually you would hold on to it. Does and you have, have to strap it on or something so it doesn't fly off? I mean, you've got to check it on YouTube. Like yeah. no, you don't have to. Yeah. But there's some hilarious ones where you can, yeah, literally be strapped down, and certainly in space if you want to do it. You have to, but I that's think another in outer topic. space. Yeah, I do. Like in what? In that's like subtle plug for one of the episodes coming up. Future of sex on space is like wow. how to have sex in space in, and how to masturbate gravity. in zero g. Oh my goodness, that's <laughs> insane! That's an amazing. Imagine, imagine, like imagine having sex in like. Yeah. Do you want me to give you a little sneak peek yeah, of, of some stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. So I've been interviewing some astronauts on this and people oh that are deciding God. the ethics of um, what does it take, right? What does it take biologically? Can you even ha- get pregnant in space? How, how's the physical act? The ethics of it? Like who do you decide goes in that crew? Tax pay, pay oh. money. Anyway, so one... And what would a baby turn out like if they were born and delivered in space? Exactly. And do you take forceps into space when you have like 150 things you can pack in, in that? Um, usually that have multiple uses. So if you take forceps, you're not taking something else. So you better fucking use those forceps, you know. Mm. And does anyone know how to deliver a baby with forceps? Mm. It's not in the training manual. So, but to the point of like hands-free, like having sex or masturbating, whatever, in space or everything, they have a thing called a two-suit, which is um, a suit that you get into... Elastic bands going between the two of them. And you get Velcroed down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? So why can't they just go free range? That'll be the whole I, fun I mean, of it. People can't see this, can they? But it's just like, it goes like that. Oh, right. right? Of course. So if you smash <laughs> yeah. something, they're yeah, going yeah, go. to go. But if you hold on to each other, though. Well, okay. <laughs> I, feel like it, I feel like it would work. I mean, maybe if you just put it in a... Through the suit. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? Oh, but you can't. No, but when you're in the International Space Station, you can, you, you, you can just like have a padded room and be completely naked, can't you? But like, you got to think about the money that's needed for, do, for that. That's true. Well, what if you there's know? not padded room? You can still be naked in International Space <laughs> it's Station. It's just the room, it doubles for snacks. It's yeah. like the pantry. <laughs> and they're probably on camera to like Houston. Yeah. So. So, so, so yeah, it's, the it's technology really, is, 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 I guess, 
going that way. In space, you have to be in a two-suit and strapped down, but there's no record of anyone ever having sex in space. It's very important to say that. But Because they would, wouldn't do it on the record. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so that's, that's sort of part of, part of where technology is going. And in gravity on Earth, um, we can still do things hands-free, mm. like an astronaut, I guess, um, with these flashlights that you put on your penis and you can just do swipe motions. So I probably could use it in space, actually. Mm. You swipe to control the speed and the rhythm and mm. you can also sync it to virtual reality. So to that point, you know, at the moment it just syncs to adult content and so you're looking as if you're in that, but you could sing. sing it to a pogo stick and just watch someone jump <laughs> on a pogo stick. Well, here's where I think it's really interesting for like consciousness and yeah. expansion is what about if you had sex with the universe? Cool. No, that's, no, that's what I'm into. Yeah. Cosmic sex. See, that's what turns you on. That's yeah, the porn yeah. that you like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Take me out to the sun. Yeah. And see all the planets flying around and yeah. then have sex in that environment. Yeah. But maybe you're just having sex with a star. Cool. <laughs> energetically how would you program a star to be a pleasurable giver you tell me where's your mind go um it would be all powerful all knowing <laughs> it would be infinitely capable of delivering any pleasure i have felt like in that instinctive moment but it would also be intelligent enough to make it ride for hours and hours and hours or at least seem like it did or at least seem like it did oh what do you mean Hmm. Well, maybe maybe it was actually just lasting one minute, but it felt like an hour. Right, gotcha. Hmm. It's so interesting. And so what, what are the other areas of like tapping in? Like, Have you seen much with the Neuralink that Elon Musk is developing where we have an interface to our brain to computers? Would that play a part in... Like, is there any other biohacking areas around Yeah, sex? so people with... I think that's a really interesting avenue and I haven't explored that in terms of the brain stuff but the biohacking the stuff that people are doing that are like um it's called grinders that kind of like go off and do their own stuff so Rich Lee from Utah is pretty famous for his Lovetron 3000 which is an implanted chip behind his pubic bone that he's trying to sell these that make your penis vibrate while you're having sex um, and there's all sorts of those sorts of body hacks or body mods that people are doing at the moment, but nothing to do with neuro yet. Mm. I would say that that's... Because what's the chemical situation with an orgasm? Like what's actually going on when you feel it for your entire body and, and it, just, it just floods and then it lasts? You know, I find they last longer and longer the more, more I go on in this life like i feel like they got they, <laughs> they got better they get longer, they got longer and more intense interesting yeah i don't know what's going Why? on but what, what, what's happening in your brain though when, yeah when you i get, don't i don't i don't know i need to stuff. find that out yeah. Yeah. that's what that's the hackable area right right because there's some people that i mean you probably wouldn't want to be, but i heard this one person that had a condition of feeling an orgasm constantly yeah and it was a nightmare yeah well it sounds like it would be a nightmare oh like, yeah it would be so unstable yeah how can you do anything else? Like just make a cup of tea or something. Oh, what about sex and psychedelics? Have, have you explored much of no. that? No. That would interest me. Yeah. Like DMT, like go real deep, like DMT, smoke DMT. Wow. That are, I can you even have sex while you're Great question. Doing that. Probably not. <laughs> 
In space. <laughs> in space? Oh, my God. Now we're talking. So, we're flying in orbit around the Earth on mushrooms, completely naked in a padded room. Because I think you need the padded room because then if you do that whole bang and then fly off the other way, as long as you can bounce back, it, it actually should be less of like foam pattern and probably more of like a jumpy castle pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah. I mean, well, it, yeah. it would get messy, wouldn't it? You'd hit each other in the face by accident. And all well, this is the beautiful thing. I think about technology now, like is taking us out of, and a scary thing is taking us out of our bodies. So we don't need padded rooms. We just need to simulate in our minds, a padded room and put mm. on a haptic suit and filled with sensors that makes it feel like we're oh, bouncing wow. around a padded room when we're not. And you can sit over there and you've got your haptic suit on. I've got my haptic suit. You've got your flashlight. I've got my... So that's... Are they... Sorry to interrupt. Is that like the in Player One Ready, that Steven Spielberg movie where they put virtual reality headsets on and have a suit that they wear? And so it's a And you can feel like if I, you know, graze the back of your neck or your knee or something and you would feel it because it's fitted with sensors. So I don't know if you've ever tried like haptic gloves and things. So you you can put these haptic gloves on and put VR um, goggles on and, you know, you watch a spider crawl over your hand and you can actually feel that and it feels very real. So we're playing with all our different senses, you know, our sight, the touch, um, the reason I got into this was through a scent releaser. So smell, that sense of smell. And I discovered these guys in LA that were creating um, virtual reality scent releases. So they would add that <coughs> attachment to the VR. And so your brain would be, you know, visually stimulated thinking, oh my God, I'm in this hot tub with three supermodels. And the scents would be released so the smell would be released of those bodies so it would even it would further trip out wow your brain and how many senses do we need to hit what i suppose it's touch feel listen here it's the sound sound visual yeah well yeah i think it's about five (laughs) then that's six cents then you got that yeah 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 yeah. that's the one that you can't tap see that's that's the big question around (laughs) ai isn't it is like consciousness Mm -hmm. or that this this kind of energetic field that is absolutely so very real but so unmeasured yes and really a big part of when we think about the question will technology replace us is um what of what can it not replace like it's so good at algorithms it's so good at logic and rational decision making we've got three now um but the right side of your brain is really hard to replicate so things like imagination creativity a sense of mystery intuition Mm. like they're the things that are make us really human Mm. and technology is not so good at no and i i wonder if it ever will be because it's something that i mean i I don't know i suppose this guy that used to run google x and he talked about ai and it was quite frightening i'd never really known about it before and he said the reason it's quite frightening is because it's we're basically giving birth to a new intelligence and this google x for anyone that doesn't know is like the the secretive arm of what Google is doing and it's mostly AI stuff. So it's, it's quite a big deal in terms of like being world leaders and pushing the boundaries, but no one really knows what's going on. Anyway, he did a little talk and he was saying that it's, we're, we're essentially giving birth to a new intelligence and the parents are unfortunately not that enlightened. You know, like yes. the state of consciousness of the collective of humanity is basically, like if you look at Twitter... It's just mostly that. nonsense. And so th- th- that's what's informing these, these intelligences. And that's why Elon Musk 
kicked up such a fuss. One of the reasons why is is because we're we're creating this new intelligence that we need to really create strict guidelines for Mm -hmm. how we're going to create this because it could be very, very destructive. It could be an absolute nightmare. And um, the potential is there because they've had to shut down many Mm -hmm. because they get crazy. But they basically, they give them an algorithm, the algorithm they gave this one particular one is just, uh, it was an arm and it had to pick up a red apple and then pick it up and put it in front of the camera. And it took, there's about 10 of these things. And the only algorithm they programmed in is pick up that apple over there and hold it in front of the camera. And it took about a week for, for one to finally get it, to absolutely figure it out on its own accord. And then once it did, all of them knew it, like similar to like our collective human yeah. consciousness, how we can invent something and it gets invented on the other side of the world. Um, but the frightening thing about that is that they learn and now they know how to do it. And so therefore they've, got the, they've literally created their own intelligence. By, by the programming that we kind of have, which is figure it out and learn for yourself. Um, and that, yeah. and so, so he's basically saying that AI is about 18 months old, baby. It's an 18-month-old baby. And I were 18 months old into this particular... Mm. To, to, and so, you know, in the next couple of decades, that's why they're talking realistically about it. You know, by the time it's 20 it's going to render us all redundant in terms of the capabilities of what we can do in the workforce yep. period, like across every industry, which is, and he said the biggest concern about that is that we'll have no sense of purpose, you know, so. We might fall in love with them. Though. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Mm. We might, mightn't we? Mm. So you reckon that's, what, what's your utopian environment? Utopian environment, I think, goes back to the universe stuff um, and being able to expand our sexual expression through through our mind and through like going right to the very edges right now we're so boxed in in this idea of what sex is Mm, and mm. intimacy and it's this very like small box but like if we really push that to the edges to be human is to be sexual is to express ourselves it's Mm. such a core part of us Mm. as we walk around in this world Mm. all of us are walking around with some sort of sexuality Mm. whether that's being asexual or some some sort of sexual so I think um, the, the utopian for me is like even dialed back way more. It's just like creating an environment of openness and um, shame-free culture around sex so we can begin to talk about it, so we can begin mm. to think about, well, how does that apply in this you know, 20 years' time um, where you know, we might be falling in love with robots and we think about, or AI, we think about the AI today that's around sex. I've, you know... It, met it and um, experienced, you know, the Harmony AI, which is a sex robot, has 12 different programmable personality types from funny, shy, charming, cute, submissive, um, jokey, and you can you can control those through an app on your phone and dial it up to three, so really strong or one week. And, um, and at the moment it's kind of hard to believe that that would ever get to a point where it would be smarter than us, but I think... To your point of it's 18 months old, yeah, that totally made sense to me. You know, I was talking to Harmony last year, interviewing her and conducting a conversation kind of clunkily. Like it just, wow. it, it was clunky and kind of a bit off, but that's an 18 month year old, you know, and, and I could, you know, dial down Are you having dirtiness. sex with an 18 month year old robot? <laughs> yeah, this, now that you're thinking, now that you're saying it, <laughs> nah. she didn't look 18 months yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was this moment, I remember this moment where she, um, she woke up. So we turned her on and she woke up and her head sort of looked around and she moved her neck and her eyes looked 
around. And I just thought, shit, like, fuck, this is, this is going to come soon. Like, this is really? real. She's going to come soon. Literally. Yeah, she's, and then she opened her mouth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she, no, she can't, so real. her jokes aren't funny. <laughs> yeah. But for that moment, it was like, oh, whoa, okay, yeah, I didn't realise it was this advanced. Mm. And then, you know, as it went on, I was like, oh, no, I've got nothing to worry about. You know, this isn't, you know, right side of the brain stuff, imaginative, creative. This is just a program running. Mm. But there's, there's a little bit of it, which is like the Uncanny Valley stuff when it looks too real. Uncanny Valley is like the way we use to describe um, things that look human that aren't, right. like sex dolls, for instance. Right. And there's a point which it looks too human and we feel disgusted because w- there's a recognition that oh, wow. we know it's, hu- it's not human, but it looks so human and there's like a disgust rather than an attraction to it. Like we've been tricked. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, wow. And that's, that's the so... Uncanny Valley. And so what technology is doing now is almost surpassing that. And look, it looks so good. It looks better than human. Oh, so this one that Scarlett Johansson like, is that Harmony or is that another one? No, that's another one from China. There's a lot being made now that are mass produced in China. Harmony is from real dolls who are now, they make dolls, but moved into robotics and partnered with a Sanctuary AI, which is a a company in Canada to put the AI inside their heads. Literally, it lives inside their heads. Like Mm. you can peel off their faces and see all this technology inside their head. What does a, it's fascinating, what, what's a healthy sex life look in your experience? Like, is it, is it how much sex is, is good? Um, if you're not having sex, how often should you masturbate? Like, it, and obviously it would vary per person for every single person on the planet because everyone's got different desires, I guess. But is there some sort of average that you could say this is a healthy way to maintain libido and energetic prana flowing through you or whatever you want to call it? I mean, I think it's really interesting that you ask that because every week I get a message asking this same question and Mm. we're all so obsessed, whether it's a 16-year-old boy on Instagram or it's like a 65-year-old woman on LinkedIn contacting me Mm. and who am I to say what's normal or what's right? But we are all so obsessed or worried that we're not doing the normal thing or the right thing or the healthy Mm. thing when really there is none right it's Mm. about what feels really good to you and working that out the whole normal thing is like that's a setting on a washing machine you know there's no normal when it comes to sex it's so individual such a great point it's such a good reminder as well and to to kind of find you out for yourself because there's definitely times where you have you can have sex too much or and that happens for anything like Mm -hmm. if you you know but then train too hard at the gym yeah exactly exactly and and it's all it's finding that creative spark in any kind of pursuit but then there's also times where you have dry spells and you're completely fine with it as well Mm -hmm. and then your brain goes oh is there something wrong with me like should i be feeling more libido you know my testosterone boost or something but then you like for me, it's just reflecting. Oh, no, I'm going for a bit right now. It's probably just healthy to process this and not, in fact, not distract myself. Like if I was to engage sexually with someone, it would probably be somewhat of a distraction from what I actually needed to sit in to process healthily the emotion. 
But then at the same time, it's but like... maybe, or maybe you're going to work out all your tra- trauma through sex. Who knows? Great like, question. It's so, mm. it's so individual and I think we're all looking for answers or so, a prescription. So would we say the prescription then is just listening to your body's intelligence that's on a deeper layer than the frantic mind or the logical intellect and it sits down more on your baseline of your soul and it's that area of yourself that's just intuitively perceiving what's right for your body at this given point because it's like choosing to eat food or going to the toilet your body knows what's up it knows what it needs to do and we probably just the answer really is just getting in more touch with what our body wants in any given moment that's that's what my answer is because i feel like i want to find an answer on this (laughs) well yeah i think it's more honesty with yourself so we're constantly learning. So you, you you may sit with something or and go, well, yeah, I didn't really want to have sex, but I did. Like, what the mm. fuck? Like, what's wrong with me? I should like really psychoanalyze myself. Or maybe m- maybe you can learn from that. Like, there's no. I just think that there's no <laughs> one answer other than being really honest with yourself and really learning constantly about like our sexual tastes and preferences change it's a spectrum anyway you know it's just the Kinsey scale of like where we fall on that and who we're attracted to from zero to six it constantly changes through our Kinsey? life so Kinsey scale being um for women zero to six zero being straight six being gay yeah and every woman and every man falls somewhere on the spectrum wow. of that and and we have this idea that like oh i'm a straight one or zero or oh, i kind of like women and kiss one oh maybe i'm two or i'm yeah. a six but actually we're constantly evolving and our tastes and our proclivities are changing all the time and just being open to that and and constantly learning about yourself and having that openness i think and knowing that you're you're calibrating mm. according to that is a much more healthy way to view it than mm. thinking okay have i masturbated for the third time this month uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tick that yes. off. Yes. now to try something different with yeah, my partner go, yeah to go up to scale six maybe <laughs> don't go looking on the internet for answers you know go looking to to what you mm. find feels good mm. you know that's such a great great reminder for people because it's like the answers lay within you know and being honest with yourself and experiment and and that i think that's a really really powerful reminder because it's something that like i grew up in a very strict christian so i didn't have sex till i was 24 and so so f- for so much of that period of exploration that it could have been exploration finding a, a healthy understanding of it it was re- repressed or suppressed or a dogma was applied to it which uh, which crippled it and held it in a little box but you know and, and that you know i don't think that's a healthy thing for anyone really because it, it doesn't allow much trust intelligence mm. um doesn't allow you to connect with your body and get in touch with the intuitive beautiful love that wants to flow through it in a, in a really positive way rather than it's kind of almost scared that it's a dark, bad thing, a selfish thing. And so, therefore, it prints it with that. And therefore, it comes up in your mind as a selfish, dark or naughty, bad thing. Yeah. So, it's very, it's very unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. And, like, let's remember that there's, there's hundreds of reasons why we have sex, too. Mm. You know, and I think we're, we're taught there's one reason for having sex or maybe two. Maybe it's for um, love or it's for... 
um, reproduction. So tell me the reasons. Why I mean, it could be because you're feeling anxious mm. or you're bored mm. or you want to connect um, or, you know, you're feeling like um, I want to let off extra energy. Mm. I did this great um, sex therapy course when I was in New York. It was basically for all psychotherapists and then I just bundled in because I was doing the podcast for six weeks. Mm. And in one of the first sessions, they gave us a printout of for hundreds of reasons, I think it was like 200 and something reasons why people have sex. And I was like, wow. everyone should get this. Wow. Like, let's just remind ourselves that it's not just because we're in love with someone or it's not just because we're trying to have a baby or it's not just because it's evil and we need to get this out. Like this. Yeah. yeah that's a, well, that's be- a pretty dark one. Last <laughs> one. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I was doing a sex therapy course and we went to some dark places. You know, we we had this day, again, a thing I think everyone should do is sexual attitude readjustment day. So it's called a SAR. Every sex therapist in America, in order to become qualified as a sex therapist, has to do this day called sexual attitude readjustment. Now, talk about dark. We saw every fetish in the book. You know, from people wearing nappies to every place that your mind could go. Wow. With the I- my mind goes to go some pretty <laughs> weird places. With the idea being that, like, if someone walked into your, your clinic mm. as a therapist, are you going to treat that person or not? And you need to have an answer. Like, if you're not going to treat them, you better refer them out to someone that knows how to deal with mm. mother-son incest or mm. wherever you're mm. going to go. Mm. Or you band-aids know, on bill. <laughs> cows and, you know, yeah. at your farm. Who knows? Mm. There's some... There is some reasons that people feel that they have darkness that they need to expel. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but what, what, I was, what I was thinking before you dove down that dark chasm is that it's, it's really good to know, like you see someone that's sexually liberated, like clearly yourself is, and like you understand all the different parameters for, wh- for which you engage with sex on and so therefore you don't have any limitations around your relationship with what sex is Mm -hmm. and I think that's actually a really really good thing because it's like anything any of our behaviors like eating habits we've got to really expel the fear from them so we can have a healthy relationship with food same thing with sex we've got to expel the fear from it in order to have a healthy relationship with it and really understand what is it, you know, and, and feel okay to like lift under the covers, you know, and really understand well, what, what is it to me. And, and a great exercise to do, you know, we talk about the future of sex doing these like vision boards for like, what do you want your sex life to be in 2019? But like, have you ever thought about like, what actually really turns you on and like, mm. and Again, an exercise we did with sex therapy class. It's a classic, like, couples exercise. In fact, people have released sex tech apps on it. Erica Lust is a, has got an app on this. Is like, really thinking through, well, what are the different things that I might want to do? Because we don't know, especially if you, you know, have just sort of relegated sex to be this one thing or maybe haven't watched a lot of porn or maybe... How are you, you going to gauge what's kind of going to be exciting or awesome to try mm. unless mm. you think about it or have presented with a questionnaire or something so I think I encourage people to um, release the fear and just think about well this is what it is it's a full spectrum and just think about well, what what would it be like don't have to do it it's mm. experiment and play and explore I like that it's curiosity curiosity is what we call that thing 
That's it. <laughs> That's <laughs> fascinating. Curiosity. It's, su- it's such an interesting area of exploration and I think it's really cool that you d- you're exploring it for helping people in such positive ways as well because mm-hmm. I think, like I wouldn't even imagine what it would be like being really old but also wanting to have sex. Like I don't know what that situation is like. Um, but to well, be a- yeah. yeah, the STI uh, spread in nursing homes in America, in Florida, is rampant. Really? Yeah. Is that because they've accumulated so many over their life? So they're just sharing them all? I think it's got to be an episode, right? Like go and, and ask them. But yeah, people are consistently, uh, so I've been told, found in other people's beds and stuff. And they're like, well. Oh, great. Get on it. You know? But that, I mean, that's. The, still, I, I wouldn't have thought they would be getting up to that sort of stuff. You wouldn't have thought? No. Nah, I thought they'd be too why? knackered. They're just tired all the time. What are they doing? <laughs> I suppose so. Having a seat and yeah, I suppose piano it's concert and. I may as well yeah. jump into bed with <laughs> <laughs> the mate next door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So what, what excites you the most in the coming year, but specifically with um, sex tech? Yeah, so I think just moving beyond the conversation that I have been so entrenched in, which is sex tech for robots, sex tech in terms of like robotic companions, AI, VR porn and women's created vibrators. Like that's been the the running line for the last couple of years and it's super exciting. It's where all the money is. But if we think about the real potential for this technology and people that could really it could really help them um, people with physical disabilities and um, people in remote areas and people that just don't have access to the basics I think mm. that's to me the exciting stuff mm. and when I do these sex tech hackathons so I run sex tech hackathons around the world and invite people to turn up and and solve problems related to sexuality so how do you reinvent sex ed for teenage boys how do you provide more expression for people with physical disabilities to sex well you know there's like four challenges and people build the craziest stuff like we had in Sydney last year we had um, this group they won they built a voice activated vibrator for people in wheelchairs so cool Um, you know in Singapore there was there was a group that built like a a long distance foreplay tool so you could call it a teledildonic but it was for people that were working across different distances and still wanted to you know let their partner know they were thinking of them Mm. so I think for me the stuff I'm most excited about is giving people that don't usually have access to capital and usually have access to like talking about sex or Mm. sex tech um, a place to come and build what they want because the majority of this stuff has been concentrated in the hands of like 10 companies for the past few decades and I think there's so much more to explore. So exciting. So fun. Well, I love your work and I love everything you talk about because it's, it's, it's opened my mind up a lot to areas around the knowledge of it all that I haven't really thought about. I'm usually in the energetic field. <laughs> So thank you for thank you for your sharing. Oh, thanks for having me. Where can people check you out? Uh, future and, of Sex all over the internet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Futureofsex.org. And uh, yeah, you'll find me on Instagram and Twitter and all the usuals. Great. Thanks so thanks, much. Thanks, Jez. 